HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Radio. I am calling in today from the Champlain Valley where it's cold and icy and we have bald eagles that are soaring around the house. And I'm joined today on the phone by Heather who is in cold, icy Maine. What kind of birds can you see, Heather? Uh, Severin, I'm having a hard time hearing. I'll speak really loudly. Okay, great. My question was, what kind of birds can you see from your house? What kind of birds can we see? Yeah. Well, mostly crows in the compost pile. <laughs> um, well, I guess that's normal. Yeah, you mind, yeah not, nothing you... too, too romantic for who's out there today. It's pretty cold. Um, would you mind giving a brief introduction of your farm? and the operation that you've been running there? Oh, sure. Yeah, so our farm is Quills End Farm, and we're located in Penobscot, Maine. And we're a grass-based, uh, diversified livestock farm. So right now we um, are hand-milking dairy cows and have a couple of goats and um, chickens that lay eggs. And in the past we've raised pigs in the woods, and sheep and turkeys and uh, meat chickens on pasture. And would you, so the, the, we just saw each other last week because we were talking, I was at your Grange, having a meeting with your Grange at Healthy and Grange. Um, do you want to explain a little bit of the social context of your part of Maine and some of the things that are going on in the farm and food 
scene that you're a part of? Oh, sure. Yeah, so um, we live um, on, a, on a peninsula, and it's a, a place that has a, a, a long history of raising food and kind of a close-knit community, probably partially because we are on a peninsula. But um, right now there's a, a great, um, I guess you can call it a local food scene, but really it's, it's a bit of a return and maybe uh, never having left the way things have always been done here where people grow their own food and exchange it with other people in the community. Um, we have lots of uh, local farms, uh, farmers markets, online farmers markets, and we are definitely um, kind of reinvigorating some of the, the farming organizations uh, that used to exist, including the, the Granges, um, and have a, a Grange that's really trying to fill some, some gaps of uh, needed infrastructure and, and kind of go back to, to um, helping farms pool resources so that um, everybody does better. So our Grange is in the process of building a community kitchen that can be used for educational workshops or as an incubator for uh, farmers and food processors um, and can host community events and fundraising, things like that. And has there been, has there been a lot of support when, when you explain to them what you want to do? What do people, what do people say? Yeah, well, about the Green Kitchen Project, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of interest and we've had, um, um, calls from people anywhere that uh, wanted to do a uh, pig butchering workshop and all of the elements of charcuterie and um, looking for a big space to do that. Um, we've um, talked to people who are you know, making baklava or jams and jellies, um, uh, just a wide variety of, uh, of, of interest, but also excitement because right now in our community these... Um, uh, kind of types of arrangements uh, have kind of fallen by the wayside, and um, really, in the last thirty years, as as the local farms have been growing again, there's there's been an increased need for um, some community infrastructure. So people are pretty excited that that's that's being undertaken. Well, and um, as we were talking about at the meeting and the Halcyon Grange meeting, that the Grange has this really powerful syllabus for social being together socially, um, being involved politically and cooperating economically and that those are the kind of core aspects of a family farm, um, a family farm community, family farm economy, family farm um, possibility. And I wondered if the um if you could maybe reflect a little bit in the in the social the social momentum that's been going on with new farmers and the redevelopment of family farms in the area and the kind of logical outcomes of that um development and how and how you guys are looking at the future in terms of the economic resilience of those farms oh yeah well um one of the ways that our, our local Grange first contacted us, um, and there were a couple of ways that, that really did come from maybe what you're talking about is having a, just a strong social fabric in uh, the farm uh, where we used to buy our milk. The owners of that farm were really the foundation of the Grange, and and they were aging, and um, you know Flossie was showing us how to make butter, and um, Kendall was talking to us about 
what he would say, everything that he didn't really know about cows and that he, he really didn't know much about them at all, even though he'd been milking since he was four. And um, so Flossie was really the, the, the backbone of our, our Grange and was, I think, trying to encourage us in a very non-pushy way to join for a long time. And then a couple of years ago, another um, couple from the Grange really came and, and tried to recruit us as as young farmers in, in the area um, to help revitalize and, and with the hope that maybe other um, young farmers and other other people that were interested in, in increasing local food production would um, would join as well. Uh, so that that was that was sort of how we how we got involved. And at that point, I think as our, our um, the master of our Grange mentioned, the Grange had dwindled down to a pretty small membership that was um, essentially providing community services uh, by hosting fundraising meals for people in need. Um, and when when we got involved, we were really excited to learn about the Grange's history and its um, uh, its its path of of legislative advocacy and, and um, some of what I think what, what you're referring to is just how pooling the resources could really help farmers. And at, at that time, our farm in particular was working on what's come to be called the food sovereignty ordinances, and the local Grange was very supportive of those efforts. And um, you know, made a point of of issuing a statement that said so, and um, so that really appealed to us that they were looking at their roots again and and really trying to help um, our small farms survive against some of the corporate regulatory pressures that we're facing. Um, and now I think um, that sort of segued into into thinking more about um, the economic resilience, like how can we, you know, do this kitchen and help um, help farmers do things that they can't do on their own and, you know, talking about, um, again, pooling resources to, to have a bulk grain spot where um, not all farmers can afford the equipment to to store grain in bulk, and, and so that's another thing that we're, we're talking about doing with our greens. Um, so a tiny bit more background about the local food ordinances, just because that's um, such a such a unique factor. But then, um, and then I would love to just hear your thoughts as they're coming as they're coming to you about the how do you structure the kind of cooperative financing of this shared use infrastructure um, as you're thinking that through as a grange and as a community. What are your what are what are what are the principles that you're that you're drawing on? Uh, well, so our, our local food ordinances really came out of some specific um, regulatory pressures that uh, on our farm, and we started asking questions and realizing that the source of those regulatory pressures were coming from the corporate food monopolies that would just assume that none of us really existed. And um, as that was all going on, a, a friend of ours handed us a book from 1873 called The History of the Grange Movement, or the farmers' war against monopolies, and so that was that was really an eye opener to just kind of retrace that a lot of the experiences that we were having um, had already been had a hundred years ago, and some of the solutions that we were um, coming up with had also already been thought through and enacted. So, um, what what our local food ordinances um, did essentially was um, assert through uh, what we have in Maine called home rule. 
uh, a provision that says that local towns or municipalities um, have the right to um, enact local laws that will do um, anything to promote the health, safety, and, and public welfare of, of its citizens. And so uh, because uh, we were looking for a way to as a community, say this is, this is what we value and the reasons that we value um, farms are not only um, for the food that's exchanged but also for for the, the strength of that, that community fabric that grows from farms and sort of the, the foundational element of, of a local economy. Um, we wanted to protect the traditional exchanges of food, so um, traditional bean suppers, uh, fundraising suppers, bake sales, um, anytime farmers are selling food directly from a farmer to a patron, um, and we said that all of those things should be exempt from state or federal uh, regulations, as they always had been, and kind of preserve that space around these traditional food exchanges the way they've always been able to to, to happen. Um, and so that's that's what our Grange uh, decided to support. And um, a number of us joined joined the Grange at that time, and I can't remember that the second part of that question was uh, how did it segue into a community kitchen? Well, well, wait a minute, I, I'm too excited. Oh my gosh! So when you, <laughs> ah, when you guys it, have this revelation that the you know the Grange found its strength as a as a populist, farmer driven um, social organization and found its feet and found its voice as an anti-monopolist organization, and you're like, oh, this is the, this is the, logical, um, the logical move is to align with this organization with this lineage of thought. Did the Grangers themselves, as sparse as they were on the ground, did they have any initial concerns, or did they jump right in and understand totally where you were coming from? Or how, how, did, how did you negotiate that? Oh well, um, it, it was it was mixed, you know, as you might expect. Um, there were uh, there there was one couple in particular that 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 found the whole thing very very problematic um, and and didn't really understand what it was we were trying to do or why it was we were trying to do it. Um, and unfortunately, they they left. Um, but the the larger percentage of the people that that were, as you say, on the ground at the time were um, very excited to see just, I think, that kind of vigor in, in the community and, um, and just realize that this, this is something that's valuable to all of us. And if there's anything that the Grange as an organization could do to help, to help move that forward, they, they wanted to be a part of it. Um, and it, it's, I think it, it's been sort of a newer topic again, maybe since we've joined, to really be looking back at our historical roots as as a, as a movement, as as a Grange, um, and and rediscover some of what's already been known for a long time. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> well, it's um, it's really exciting, and you're and the local food ordinances passed, and you now have the. The lack you don't have to worry about um, direct sale problems because you have passed this ordinance, or is that all fine now? Oh yeah, I mean, I wish I could say yes. Now it's all fine, but um, we the, the ordinances started passing in 2011 in our um, in four towns in our county. 
that are all, you know, very, three of us are on the peninsula. Uh, and then since then, another seven towns have passed it. And so I think we have 10 towns all together across the state of Maine and another four or five that are considering passing it now. And naturally, we're, we're trying to do everything we can to, to promote to promote that because I think there really will be strength the more it moves laterally before it tries to go to another level of governance like state or federal. It's much better, I think, for, for more people to become empowered in their own communities. Um, but, you know, I was just talking to a friend about, about that idea that we really had. It was so much work to write these things and so much work to talk to people in our communities and, and organize around the ordinances on the way to those first town meetings. And when the ordinance first passed, um, uh, part of uh, what the law had said in Maine, um, which we'd been operating under uh, before it changed, was that, that you could sell uh, milk directly from a farm um, with no licensure and inspection as long as you didn't advertise. So anybody that was selling milk from a farm never hung out a sign that said milk. And the day after our the ordinance passed in our town of Penobscot, our family went up pretty ceremonially and hung the milk sign on our on our farm sign um, because there was now legal protection to keep that keep that rule of law behind behind what we were doing. Um, but I, I do remember feeling this great sense of relief. Like, okay, now we've done it. That's done. Now we can just get back to life. But of course, since then, um, there's, there have been some challenges by the state. Um, they targeted a farmer to test the ordinances by suing that farmer, and um, so there's been quite a lot of advocacy done around around that. And um, and then some legislators at the state level picked picked up. Um, to try to help, there is sort of this growing awareness of, of the obstacles that small farms are, are facing, and so there there have been a whole host of, of bills proposed at the state level to um, kind of take forward some of the ideas of the ordinance. Uh, so it's it's been sort of an increasing level of intensity actually ever since those ordinances started passing. Democracy in action. Yeah, yeah. Not as exciting necessarily always, but. Um... Uh, so, well, so the, the Grangers also, they, you know, they succeeded in, in regulating the railroad. Um, it took them six, there were six major lawsuits called, they were called the Granger cases. Um, and, you know, it took a good, a, a good part of a decade for them to achieve their aim, but they did. But then in the, in parallel with the anti-monopolist, um, rhetoric that they were, a part of an understanding and characterizing the role of corporate power and collusion and price fixing and rate setting and discriminatory practices and corruption and all these problems that monopolies breed. They were also very proactive in describing an alternative to monopoly, and that was in cooperation and the role of cooperative economic um, practices, businesses, um, and I wonder, so the second part of that earlier question was around the thinking that you're, the thinking that you're doing as a team over there about your kitchen and how you're kind of cooperatively financing and cooperatively building the tools for community food security and community food processing. Um, what's, what's going through your mind or how are you approaching that problem as a design question? Yeah, well, I think, you know, in, in terms of organizationally and at meetings, um, we're very much caught up with the um, 
the, just the doing of it, you know, the, the how we make these decisions and, and what needs to happen next and, uh, you know, how are we going to find the funding and those sorts of things. But I really think that a, a guiding principle under, underneath all of that is that that sort of recognition that in our communities, if if we want farms to be viable, um, we need to do as much as we can to ensure flexibility. And the increased amount of flexibility that we have, then the farms are going to be more resilient. So if, you know, there is uh, one of our farmers loves to use this example. When she was farming, if, you know, one year a certain vegetable crop didn't do well, but they raised um, or they raised too much grain so then they could, you know, raise more chickens. Well, they needed the flexibility to be able to just butcher those chickens and sell them, or maybe they wanted the flexibility to turn that into chicken pot pie and value add and and realize that even though the vegetable crop didn't do well, the chickens did. And I think that that's, that's, that's really sort of this underlying um, hope that with a community kitchen that will help increase the flexibility of, um, the local farms and also, you know, home kitchen food makers um, to really help help the whole the whole be a lot a lot more resilient. Well, it's so funny because in the talk I was you know I was telling about um, you know revival efforts and granges around the country and what some of the projects and processes are going on and afterwards the grain yard guys were coming up and talking, you know, afterwards and we were having cookies. And one of the guys came up and said, well, you know, because we had talked about self-right, he was like, well, I have a schooner. And another guy came up and he said, well, I have a plucker, you know, for chicken plucking. Mm-hmm. And I just, And I just, you know, first of all, it's still amazing to me when I'm having a conversation with someone over the age of 75 about, you know, projects to do and things to work on mm-hmm. and not, you know, how much my knees ache or, you know, just having a constructive team, intergenerational team-oriented conversation is, like, already a thing that makes me excited. Mm-hmm. But then also just recognizing how the framework of the framework of the community makes that a lot easier. It puts it puts things into a a kind of um it puts you into a community context where people can afford to be generous because it's not as risky. Yeah. Yeah, well I think I mean I think the really neat thing I mean just listening to you talk about that happening that we had to scoot out um for too many hearing those conversations afterwards. But it just strikes me that, you know, one, yes, that the, I think the intergenerational thing is so important because a lot of times we've heard how pe- excited people are to see young farmers there again. And, you know, Phil and I are, are really thinking, well, it's, it's great. We do, you know, we do need to keep good things going in, in next generations, but we also need that older generation there because, you know, they've already done this all <laughs> and, and, and they already were part of these, these cooperative systems growing up and, and, that I think having you there, like I look at that as these sort of latent seeds, you know, like they're there, they're in the ground already. But when you came, it was sort of like shining some sunshine on it so it all could grow and, and, and emerge. Um, because when, you know, you are just, um, you know, functioning as an organization working on specific projects, it doesn't necessarily, um, those those things don't necessarily emerge. But when you, you sort of stop time and this is what we're talking about and you were able to share those 
stories about what's happening around the country. It's, it was just like sunshine, so those other ideas could come up out of the ground. Well, and and what I realized is that uh, I mean, what it, what it it was amazing. As I was, we were driving home, I was just thinking about it, and it was almost like, well, you know, from from their perspective, it's totally natural. It's just like you say that they're they're totally familiar with operating um, in a you know kind of complex reciprocity, small town kind of way, and it's mm-hmm. it's we the next generation who have to um, really strain our ears to this social wisdom and and try and learn you know as quickly as we can how they're how they're kind of doing that and 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 that part of it's also kind of like a little I don't want to get a little too woo but I mean that there's a little bit of a of a spirit thing going on where mm-hmm. um, people are putting themselves out there um, okay I, I guess I have to I'm retreating back into my not, not talking about spirit but um, I don't know. It felt it, it. It it was. I felt like there is an insight that has to get had soon around this topic of learning, learning some of the social skills of more complex collaboration, and and the Grange has so many of these little sayings about you know hastening the good time coming and yeah, not judging yeah. your friends and turning the other cheek and you know assuming the best. And all of those kind of seem like they're talking around some kind of a, a spirit element of having having a team approach and working together in a small town and not getting snippy and provincial, but, like, making progress. Right. Right, right, right. The whole idea of, of well, I guess of cooperation really is, is something the Granges have really emphasized. But I think in a way... Um, I mean, I think in, in its in its best way, when um, you know our generation does come back to the land or comes to the land, uh, just like we've lost the concrete infrastructure, you know, the the grain co-ops and 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 the creameries and all of those things, that the, it's it's the knowledge is still there, and I, I think that maybe some of what you're talking about is having. Um, Lost, or maybe it's not lost. It's just latent there under the ground. It is the social structures that that made this all work. And certainly, you know, a lot of us in our generation are, are bartering because I think anytime you are dealing with food, it just happens that you end up bartering a lot. Um, but but there's there there's so many really wonderful traditions that I think the older generation would be so happy to rejuvenate. Nobody, it just nobody's asked in a while, and. Um, that is, I think that is really the exciting thing about about the Halcyon Grange is that we really do have a nice mix of of generations, so that that you know we really we can learn from their ideas and 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 they're really receptive to to our ideas as well. So it's it's a it's a really nice um, mix of of people and and that whole idea. I think that Wendell Berry talks about when when going back makes sense you are going forward and I, I think that that's a pretty unifying feeling at our at our greens right now when going back makes sense you're going forward you are going forward that is progress <laughs> yeah um so in our in our last little time i want to talk about going forward um in 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 figuring out this cooperative um this cooperative 
model and this kind of the growing sentiment and, and engagement and then once the thing gets strong enough so you can actually put a little bit of weight on it and in the process of building community around this ordinance and around this grange rebuilding and in the kind of local foods movement in general, it feels like you guys have built a pretty strong foundation on which you could maybe even support um, more kind of cooperative financing or um, kind of solidarity in the next phase. Um, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about what's what that next phase might be or what the next challenges are that if people wanted to kind of tune in or help out in the development of this or the next phase of this halcyon moment? Um, <laughs> I love that, a halcyon moment. Um, yeah, uh, wow, well... I don't want to miss a great opportunity here, but I, I, I can definitely mention our, our website is um, Um And I, now I have to double-check that. I think it's actually halcyongrange.org. Um, but the, the phase of building where we are right now is that we're just finishing up the community kitchen, which should be done by Easter time. Um, and soon we'll be opening up to the community um, to kind of do a walkthrough and talk to people who are interested in using the kitchen to see what they'd like to do with it. Um, and, the, you know, community financing, um, the the whole kitchen project um, really had three phases. One was, was to renovate the kitchen so it could be um, usable by more members of the community. Um, and then it was also to insulate our Grange Hall so it could be used year-round instead of just seasonally. And then the third phase would be to um, have an elevator from the bottom floor to the top floor where the meetings happen so um, our elderly members could could participate in the meetings at the Grange building. So there are those those kind of three phases as it's as it's all going forward. Um, and the community financing-wise, uh, you know, the... the We've garnered support from our community, from some of the banks and from our, our local grocery store, and um, certainly we, we need um, more to complete those, those other two phases of, of the Grange Restoration Project. Um, and I, I, it is true in our, in our broader area around um, our farm, we've reached out to our own um, patron community to think Outside of uh, uh, the regular paradigm of how we finance things, how we how we share risk to increase that that resilience, um, and have, have reached out to our own patrons about to do to do that and to kind of work on um, thinking of investing in local farms um, by taking over farm mortgages um, and and getting a, a percentage back on that investment. So that's that's another project that Phil and I are individually engaged in apart apart from the Grange. Um, that's a, another another learning curve of, of really reaching out and um, you know in a somewhat maybe not vulnerable but a very open way to say that you know these are the real obstacles and and needs that we have and we'd like to keep growing food for the community and if we can if we can share that risk a little bit then um, that that should be possible. Well, and it's it's um, 
you're so modest in how you describe this, um, but I want to just make it really explicit. If you're listening and you want to support the Halcyon Grains, you can go and visit their Halcyon Grains website. And, you know, in, in the research that we've been doing, Jen and I, um, in preparing for the Grange Future Project, um, we have studied a lot of archival materials. And in the archive of most Grange halls, um, well, not most, but we've come across three now, uh, little Polaroids, a little Polaroid picture where they take a picture of the ashes of the mortgage when they burn it because it's done paid. Oh. So, again, the Grange has this, um, you know, jubilous, jubilee um, kind of cultural moment around no more mortgage, no more debt. You know, we can do it. Right, right. <laughs> and that website is halcyongrange.org. It is both words there together. So, yeah. um. Thank you, Heather, so much. I can't wait to see you guys again in May in Maine. And um, we'll keep everybody posted about these upcoming Grange dinner, Grange dinners that the ladies were talking about there. Well, great. They're, they're sort of renowned for, for the pies afterwards, so we, we're, we're trying to keep that tradition alive, keep making good pies. Good pies, good ladies. Good winter day to you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Severin. Bye-bye. Thank you, Heather. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.